You're listening to Compassion Church Dixon Podcast. Hey, some years back, I'm in Southern Wales. We have uh, a church over in the country of Wales in the United Kingdom. We also have a few Hope Centers there. And this year, we're looking to move into Scotland and England. So God's doing a great work with Hope Center there. But it was actually my first trip to uh, the United Kingdom. And I'm in southern Wales in just a little town. I mean, I can't even pronounce the name of it, so I'm not going to try. And I'm at a chapel there. It's called Marah Chapel. I think they're going to bring it up for you on the screen. And I'm sitting in this chapel... And they're telling a story that I'd heard a few times already. I'd actually heard about this church. In Mariah Chapel, that's where Evan Roberts, we've got a picture of Evan Roberts here. When he was 26 years old, he led a prayer meeting in that church. And they called it a service, but it really became more of a prayer time. Matter of fact, all of the meetings that Evan Roberts would hold always had three things in common. The Word of God, prayer, and praise. And what I mean by that is they would always read Scripture. Scripture would always be read in the services. People would get up and give testimonies of how that Scripture had worked in their life. They always had prayer. Their prayer meetings during the Welsh Revival, which lasted two years, sometimes would last up to 10 hours. And not only that, but they always had praise. And I'll be talking to you more about that in a minute. But here's what you need to know first. Before the revival broke out in 1904, and the London Gazette and all the local papers all the way over to Ireland would write about the revival, and the revival would fuel revival in America, beginning in the Zuzu Street revival, and countries all over the world. It was an amazing thing. Spiritual renewal took place. But you go, what was the country like at that point? Uh, pretty, Pretty far from God. Matter of fact, At that point, church attendance had been in decline for more than 30 years. In the late 1800s, church attendance got fewer every year. Chapels, churches were being closed down. But guess what was growing? Guess what they were opening on every corner? A public house. Anybody know what that is? A pub. Some of y'all young people call it the club. And they were opening them all over. And these it was a drinking society, still is today, but... I mean, they were just getting drunk. A lot of miners were there. Matter of fact, the main occupation of the men was mining. And they would go down 300 feet into the earth in those mines, and it was filled with profanity and and just obscene jokes and all kinds of stuff. And, And not only that, look at this picture. Not only that, but this is actually a picture taken from that time, but the little boys would go down there too. This They were called the Ruffins. That's what we call them where I'm from, the roughins. They were the rough people. When I'm in Texas, they call them roughnecks. Around here, we call them rednecks. But they were the rough, tough, fighting, drinking, cussing, cheating, gambling, and all that stuff was going on. And Wells was kind of looked down upon, especially the men working in the coal mines, which was the majority of all the men in Wells. They were really looked down on by high society. People didn't think much of them. A lot of addiction and all that comes with that. 
and the boys would have to quit school at an early age to support the family. And so what do you think the little boys were growing up learning? Same thing dad was doing. And so it was just a perpetual cycle, right? Because dad, it doesn't matter what you say. That's not what gets modeled. It's who you are. That's what gets modeled in the home. And so that's what's going on in the country of Wales. Church attendance is on the decline. Chapels are closing all over. More pubs are opening up. The crime rate's going up. Drunkenness is everywhere. Men are losing all that they're working for all week because of gambling and prostitution houses. They call them brothels, and all the rest of it's going on. But there's a young man that sees all this, Evan Roberts, and it bothers him. He had a relationship with God from an early age. And he began to pray, even just in his teenage years, he began to pray, God, save Wales, save my country. He wanted everybody to experience the realness of God, that real relationship that Jesus Christ wants to have with every human being on planet Earth. Evan Roberts knew if people could really know Jesus, not religion, not just going to church, if they could meet the person of Jesus Christ, all of this stuff could change. And he would pray and pray and pray. His mother said when he was growing up, she remembers as a teenager, she would wake up sometimes at 2 or 3 in the morning, and she could hear Evan Roberts in his room praying and weeping and crying out for the men and the people in the nation of Wales. And then it would happen in 1904. He would bring a group of young people. He begged his pastor for a service, and his pastor didn't even give him the main auditorium. He let them go into the schoolroom. And with about 20 to 25 other people, some say 20, some say 25, but with a small number of people, they got in there, and they began to pray, and they began to give testimony, and they read the Word of God, and he preached, and they began to sing hymns, and it went on, and it went on, and it went on. And something broke out, and those young people went, and the next day more came, and two weeks later they were in the auditorium, they were in the schoolhouse, and people were standing outside. But the revival didn't just take place at Moriah Chapel. It began to spread to Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches. Over the next six months, more than 100,000 people would give their life to Jesus Christ. And amazing stories would come out of that. Remember a while ago, I was, I was telling you about the mines. I want to I tell you, they, there's stories that came out of that. They said in the mines that they had to retrain the pit ponies. They had to retrain the donkeys. And you say, well, what was that all about? They had trained them with such profanity when the men got saved. When they got saved, the donkeys couldn't understand them anymore. <laughs> they didn't understand the commands without the profanity. They had to retrain them. Down in the mines, they said that you could hear 300 feet below the earth. You could hear hundreds and hundreds of miners singing, praying. Now they're giving testimonies. They were memorizing Scripture, and one of them would call out a Scripture he memorized, and then another one would call out a Scripture, and then somebody would give testimony, and then somebody would start praying for his family, and then another man would start singing a hymn, and they would all join in. And that's what they were doing all day as they were digging and working and pulling that coal out of the earth. And it spread. And Evan Roberts put teams together, and they said, we got to go over the whole country. 
This isn't just church history. This is in the secular history books. It really wasn't that long ago. We have pictures. And as they began to send teams all over, the churches, remember they were empty? Remember they were closing down? All the churches got so full, different denominations, they got so full that they had to start meeting outside. They started holding meetings outside. They started holding meetings under tents. And what happened was is massive crowds started showing up. They started building churches. As a matter of fact, the church that I first worked with there at the mission hall in Neath, a great evangelist built that church by the name of Seth Joshua. Amazing facility. Probably seats, I don't know, 1,200 people. Huge buildings began to get erected all over Wells throughout that revival. Men had money to give. You always know when God's moving because it gets into people's pocketbook. You do know that wherever your, 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 your treasure is, something follows it. What is it? Yeah, your heart. You show, listen, let me, just, let me just look at your checkbook or your online statement, and I'll tell you where your heart's at. Because that's just, that's true. If your heart, if you spend all your money on outdoor stuff, where's your heart? In the woods, on the lake. If you spend all your money on shopping, where's your heart? The next sale. Ladies, they're lying to you. It's not a sale. They're marking it up 300%, and then they're saying 50% off. I tell my wife that. She said, the devil is a lie. I don't believe it. I said, all right. And she would look at me and say, and yeah, and all the money's going to eating out. Because she likes to spend money on shopping. I like to eat. I don't care if my clothes are ripped or torn. I don't care if I'm wearing shorts in the cold. Just give me a ribeye steak now. <laughs> it's funny how we all have our hearts bent toward different things, right? I'm not a snazzy dresser. People are always like, Pastor Judd, you got to get some clothes. Let me take you shopping, bro. I'm like, I don't want to spend it on clothes. Let's go to Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> Why would I spend it on clothes when I get some chicken wings, a little shrimp cocktail, and a steak? Yeah, there's another gluttonous person in the room. I don't know. One of my chubby brothers just said, amen. God was moving in such a mighty way. Revival had broke out. There was all other kind of stories. For example, the courts. The courts had little to do anymore. The magistrates didn't know what to do when they showed up. Matter of fact, there's one story that they had went weeks and weeks and didn't even have a court case. And then in the courthouse, they said, here's what happened. I got a picture, I think, of a courthouse back then. Yeah. They said, then in the courthouse, here's what happened. They said, before the judge could even get anything out after he said, you know, you're going to have to plead guilty or not guilty. And when he was going to speak to the man's lawyer, the man just yelled out loud, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. And he fell down right there beside his lawyer, the man defending him. And the judge was so moved, the judge led the man to Christ. And they said the jury became a choir, and they began to sing. And the rest of the day in court, they all sing hymns and songs together. They broke out in prayer. They all got off one by one, stood the man up front, and they hugged him and welcomed him as a brother in Christ. Now, for everybody here who's ever had court trouble, don't you wish it worked that way today? <laughs> Some of you just got an idea. You got something coming up. You got a hearing coming up, and you're thinking, I'm going to try it. I'm guilty. I don't know if I'd do that today, okay? But it's what happened. 
The police force couldn't figure out what to do, and they had to redirect what they did because the crime rate went down so low, the jails are empty, so the police force started spending their time at the revivals directing people in and out. They became ushers for meetings. They began to go to church to church. All the way to back then, and it's still this way today, they love soccer. We, we, they call it football. We call it soccer. And I don't know, they're like, your football is not really, you use your hands more than you use your feet, but you call it football. And they're like, our football is really football. We use our feet. And to that I say, shut up. We whipped you years ago. We'll whip you again. Right? <laughs> I have fun with all of my friends from over there. I always like to brag about how we sent them back home crying to their mamas. But soccer was such a big deal, as they would call it, football, and yet the players were getting saved, and so here's what happened. The players didn't want to play. They lost interest. They wanted to go and partake in the revival. And so the people that would come and fill the stadiums, they didn't want to come to the stadiums. They didn't want to miss what God was doing at church. And so they just shut down that year the whole football league. They didn't play any more games because nobody wanted to do anything else other than attend these meetings because God was real. God was present. Life was being changed. People would stand and marvel. It was full of awe. Roughnecks were giving their life to Jesus Christ. Now daily, not only did people attend church, but daily the altar was resurrected in the home. People that didn't even know what that meant were now having prayer meetings and devotions and families would gather around before or after a meal. They'd go into their living rooms and they'd talk about Jesus, dads with their children and children with their moms and dads, and they would talk about what God's doing in their life. It was an amazing time. I read a lot of the articles that were written about it from newspapers and seeing people that don't know Christ try to figure it out, it's hilarious because they're trying to explain what's happening, but they don't know how to explain it. But nobody can deny what's happening. Three things were happening in all of the meetings. Three things were happening in all of the homes. Bible reading, prayer, and praise. If you go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, it's not that much different than what happened in Wells. It just happened about 1,900 years before the Welsh revival. It's the birth of the church. Jesus will ascend to heaven. The angels will escort him. But he'll tell them to wait and to pray because he'll promise them that power is coming in the person of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will empower them to be witnesses. And he tells them that they'll go to Jerusalem where they were, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, the church is birthed. And we read about what it looks like, and here it is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, they being the church, this is where it all started. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship. You go, what's fellowship? It's a Greek word, koinonia. The best way I know how to describe it, two fellows in the same ship. If you put two fellas in the same ship and pushed them out to sea and they had to spend the next two weeks together, what would happen? They'd bond. They might want to kill each other. They may throw each other overboard, but they'd pull each other back in. What would happen is there would be a bonding. There would be a unity that would take place. The people had fellowship. You can't get that through social media, by the way. You can, you can get a certain portion of it, 
but you can't fully get fellowship from Facebook. You can't fully get fellowship from Instagram. You can't fully get fellowship just from text messages. You get a part of it, but there's something that happens when people sit down, and you'll see in a minute they break bread together, and they eat a meal together, and they sit in each other's homes together. And I think people need to hear that in the day that we're in. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all the believers were together and had all things in common. They would sell their property and possessions and share them with all to the extent that anyone that had need. Same thing happened in Wells. Instead of spending their money on drinking and prostitution and drinking and all the rest of it, they began to give their money to the needy and to the church and begin to finance the kingdom of God. That's how you know when a move of God's happening. That's how you know God's up to something. Day by day, do you hear this terminology continually, daily, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. That was what they would call their building that we call church today. Breaking bread from house to house, that's what we would call small groups. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. All Evan Roberts ever did was he asked himself a question. What's church really supposed to look like? Because as he was growing up, church was on the decline. When he was growing up, church wasn't fun. People didn't want to go. They'd rather go to the club than go to church. And he kept thinking to himself, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And he would read this passage out of the book of Acts, and he would say, that's church. And he would pray that one day in his country, they would get to have church the way these people got to have church. And my prayer for you today is this, that you would have church the way these people had church. I've been on this passage for a while. I've been talking to our Hope Center teams about it. And I told Pastor Jamie when he asked me to preach, I said, let me tell you what's on my heart. And I told him, and he said, man, last week I cast the vision. Please come share that. And I said, Jamie, somewhere in America there will be a church. I'll be preaching at Emmanuel College in Georgia. I'll be preaching in Miami tomorrow. And then I'll be in South Carolina speaking there. I'm in four states in three days. And I'm going to be preaching. I'm going to preach the same message that God's given me. And I'm going to go around to college students. I'm here today. You're the first church hearing it, the first group outside of Hope Center that's heard it. And I'm going to appeal to people, and I'm going to say, is there a church, is there a people that would take this passage of Scripture and say, I want to see that in my city. I want that to happen in my county. I got people I know that will die and go to hell today because they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I understand that God loves them, and God gave us life for them on a cross. And I understand that God wishes none should perish. Hell wasn't created for them. Hell was created for the devil and all the demons that went with them, and they are the embodiment of evil. And Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven, but he didn't talk about hell because he hated people. He talked about hell because he loved people. And as a matter of fact, he didn't talk about hell much to the lost. He talked about hell to his disciples. See, I don't think hell is something I need to be going out and preaching to unchurched people. I need to be preaching hell to the church. 
And you go, why? Because that's what should motivate us and stir us up to go, not my daddy, not my mama, not my brother, not my neighbor, not my coworker, not my neighbors. That message should motivate us and say, not them, not after Jesus gave his life on a cross, not after he suffered, not after he gave up heaven so that they could gain heaven, not after all that, not on my watch, not in my city. And if you can ever find people, that's all Evan Roberts did. He just started saying, not in my country, not in my town, not with my daddy, not with my uncles, not with my brothers. And he said, I, I believe church needs to look like this. So him and a group of young people gathered together, and they started having a service based on this passage of Scripture. And what God had did 1,900 years before them in Israel, God began to do in his country of Wales. And God will do in this country, and God will do with you if we so move and obey these passages of Scriptures. Quickly, I want to go back to three things. This could be a six-week sermon series, and I'm going to take about seven or eight more minutes and kind of break it down. But literally, if I was pastoring a church today, I would take six to eight weeks, and I would spend time on Acts 2, 42 through 47. Instead of talking about the fellowship, instead of talking about the generosity, instead of talking about some of the other things we see, I want to focus on three things because that's what I have time for. But it's because these three, th these three things are so important that even when you look at the archangels, do you know what an archangel is? Chief angel, ruling angel. That's, that's the breakdown of the, the two words there, the compound word, ruling angel. Do you know there's three archangels in the Scripture? Can anybody guess who they are? Michael? Yeah. Let's talk about Michael, Gabriel. Let's stop here and talk about it. Michael, if there's, if there's three components to worship, prayer, the word, and praise, Michael, every time we see him in the Scripture, what's he doing? prayer. Daniel's been praying, praying, praying. Daniel fast. Anybody ever done the Daniel fast? He's been doing that Daniel fast. I wish he'd have never done it because I've done it numerous times. I'm mad at Daniel for it. No sugar, no bread, no meat. You can't tell me no meat, no sugar, no milk, no meat. I just want to go to heaven. That's why I get close to God. I'm ready to die. Done that Daniel fast many times, Daniel fasting, nothing happening. And finally, on the 21st day, Michael, who the book of Jude calls an archangel, the one that the book of Revelation says he disputed, he fought with the devil and the dragon and the third of the angels that went with the devil, Michael and the angels fought against him. And Michael must be a bad angel, and I mean that in a good way, because he whipped the devil's butt and he threw him out of heaven. And you go, well, pull up scripture. I don't have time, but you got a Bible, don't you? Go read it. I'm not going to do everything for you. I'd hate to go to lunch with you. You'd want me to order your steak and cut it up for you too and feed it to you. Here you go, honey. Take a bite of that. You go, well, I want to see if it's true. Well, go read the Bible and see if it's true. Go to the book of Revelation. Go to the book of Jude. I'll help you out there because there's only one chapter. Read that and you'll see that Mark was, M Michael, he's disputing with the devil again. And it says he's an archangel. He's a ruling angel. And every time we see him in the Word of God, we see him dealing with prayer. And Gabriel, every time we see him in the Word of God, what's he dealing with? He showed up to the Virgin Mary, and what did he do? He brought God's Word to her. He showed up to Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife, the cousin of Mary, and what does he do? He delivers God's 
word to her, and so on and so forth throughout Scripture. And so worship's important to God. There's three areas of worship, and one archangel oversees prayer, and another archangel oversees the Word of God. But there's a third archangel, and he oversaw praise. Anybody know who he is? He was Lucifer. He was Lucifer. And you can, you can read about that in Isaiah chapter 14. Start at about verse 12, and it says, O Lucifer, thou who art fallen. And then you can go over to Ezekiel 28, and it'll say, around, start at verse 11, and it'll say, King of Tyra. And you'll go, well, that's not Lucifer. Well, in a minute, first of all, the king of Tyra was 3,400 years after the garden. But he says, this guy, this king was in the Garden of Eden in the beginning. There were only four people in the garden. Who were they? God, Adam, Eve, and the devil, the serpent, Lu Lucifer. And he said, you were in the Eden from the very beginning. And he goes on and talks about how he created him. And it says he created him with timbrels, pipes, musical instruments inside of him. He had a wonderful voice, but he wanted to be exalted. Worship is all about lifting God up, praising God, exalting God, magnifying his name. And when you read the five I wills in Isaiah, chapter 14, he wants to be lifted up. He wants to be exalted. He wants to be like the most high. And so what he did, there's one little Hebrew word there, and it means to merchandise. And what he did, as he was supposed to be given all the glory and praise to God, he exchanged some of that praise and took some of it from himself. And when he did that, God cast him out of heaven. Now, in the few minutes I got left, let me say this to you. If we read that the early church continued in prayer and Bible reading and in praise, and we see revivals, I gave you one, I could have gave you a lot more that's happened throughout human history. And all they're ever doing is going back to God's original intent for the church. But it wasn't just in church. Most revivals all have one thing in common. They were also doing it where? In the homes. Can I challenge you, not just in this church, to have Bible reading? The Word of God should be preached in this church. Scripture should be read. I've been to churches where I never even heard a piece of Scripture read. Man, you got to point people to the book. Stories are good, but I, I, need, I need the Word of God in a church service. Can I get an amen? I mean, I don't have to have 50 Scriptures, but you got to give me one and say, this is from the Bible right here. Let's look at it together. But it's not just in church, but in the home. When COVID happened and churches shut down because everybody was trying to be mindful and, and at this point we probably all know somebody that's passed away or been affected and just, just a horrible deal. And with whatever your beliefs about it, I think we can all agree it's, it's a real disease at this point. You know, now how bad it is, how bad it's not, everybody's got a different opinion on that. And I'm not getting into that with you. But here's what I will tell you. When it first happened, you remember a lot of churches all over the nation, they shut down. Everybody was trying to be mindful and all that stuff. So we were having church in our home, and we did three things. We read from the Bible, and then we talked about it. We had a prayer time, and then we began to worship. We began to praise God together, because worship is in all three aspects. And as we were praising God, my little boy, at that time, one was six, one was four. The six-year-old started weeping, then the four-year-old started crying. And then I look over and my three girls, they're all crying. I got five kids. You go, you love kids. Nope. 
I love my wife. But my six-year-old started crying, and he said, I want to see you, Jesus. I want to see you. And then my four-year-old started crying. And before I knew it, my whole family, we're, we're crying, and we're singing to the Lord, and we're lifting him up. And we've been reading from the Scripture, and we've been praying. And I thought to myself, I've missed it. This is what God wants in every home. But I've relied on the church. I've relied on our gatherings to impart to my children. But God wants us doing it as parents as well. And so we've had a number of church services, and we had a lot. We have home services now. We just call it God time. And I'm not the only one sharing the Scripture now. I may let one of my kids share the Scripture. And we see songs and we praise. I wished every church had a prayer meeting every week. And you go, Josh, there wouldn't be a whole lot of people show up. There was only about 20 when that revival broke out. Now, isn't it funny, two weeks later, there would be over 1,500 people trying to get in that church. But it didn't start with 1,500. It started with 20 or 25. I wished every church everywhere had a prayer meeting. I wish they just set a mic up right down here on the floor. I wished when you came in, there was just people praising God. I wished anybody at any time could come up and just read a passage of Scripture out of the Bible. And then somebody could pray that Scripture. They could come up and read, God is long-suffering and wishes none should perish. And then right there, they could just go into prayer. Lord, you're long-suffering. You wish none should perish. And Father, I pray for every lost person in Dixon County. And God, somebody else could come up and read a Scripture and then just start praying right there. Somebody could come up and just give a testimony of what God's done in their life. By the way, that's what the church services look like during the revival. It was really just big old prayer meetings. And there was just room for God, and God broke out. I understand when they met in Acts chapter 2, they met the first day on every week, that's Sunday. And that church service has a particular vibe to it. But I also read outside of that where they met daily. And those gatherings had their own vibe as well. I want to encourage everybody in here as I close out. Fill your home with Bible reading. Fill your home with prayer. Fill your home with praise. I know it feels awkward in the beginning. I know I got some moms and dads in here going, I'm not a theologian. I'm not. Hey, can you read a scripture and then let's just talk about it? You may even start out after reading the scripture going, I don't know what the heck that means. What y'all think? That's all right. Let's talk about it. Let's get into it. You may go, I feel a little comfortable, uncomfortable praising. It's God's love language. I don't know why, but God loves it when we sing to him. And not all these Jesus is my boyfriend type songs. Don't get mad at me, but some of our songs, they're a little weird, like nibble on Jesus' ears, just kind of weird stuff. But when I read the book of Revelation, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 7, songs that speak to God of God, songs that don't talk a lot about us, but they're all focused on him. Matter of fact, if it talks about us at all, it just talks about the fact that we were lousy, but we were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, and glory and honor and power and majesty. That's the songs of heaven. That's the songs of heaven. The songs of heaven, you don't find a lot in them about me and you. They're all about Him. They're songs that allow people to speak to God of God, of His goodness, of His power, 
of his redemption, of all the things he's done in our life, that's the songs they sing in heaven. What if some of you left here today and said, Evan Roberts was a great man of God, but he wasn't no more special than me. It's an even playing field. You know how close you can get to God? Close as you want to be. You go, how do some people get closer to God than other people? Because they practice more spiritual discipline than other people. And the truth is, sometimes starting out, I don't want to read my Bible. It's kind of like eating healthy food. I went on a diet one time. I should have never came off of it. Because I finally got used to eating healthy, and I didn't crave, crave beds, breads, not beds. I didn't crave breads and desserts. I actually craved healthy food. And I was enjoying it, but then like a, like a crack addict one day, I got off track. And then I started craving all the junk again. Starting out, you know, reading the Bible is kind of hard. Starting out praying, it, it feels kind of boring. Starting out singing to God feels kind of foolish. But if you just stay at it, I'm looking around here, I see some people that probably go to the gym. You probably feel foolish and dumb and silly the first time you went to the gym. There's people over there benching a lot of weight, and you're over there struggling with a barbell. But consistently, daily, they did it daily, continually, day by day. Three years later, that person's bench pressing 315 pounds. Same guy that couldn't even lift the bar three years ago. It's the same way with spiritual disciplines. I want to end, and I just want to pray for you. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Now, I urge you, I encourage you, fill your life with prayer, praise, and the Word of God. Fill your home with it daily, daily. It'll change your life. You won't even be the same person three months from now. But maybe you're in here today and you're like, man, I don't even know Jesus. I don't have a real relationship with God. Maybe you got your granddaddy and grandma's religion. Maybe you just got church attendance on the books. You check it off every Sunday. You know about God, but you don't know God. There is, a, there is a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. And today, you're not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. You can be forgiven. You can be redeemed. You can get a clean slate today in this room. If you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you need your name written into the log of heaven, the book that the angel will look at and grant you entrance or turn you away, if you need to be saved today, quickly, would you raise your hand and hold it up? And I'm going to pray for you before I leave this place. God bless you and you. Who else? Don't be shy. Get it up. This is heaven or hell. God bless you, you, and you. Who else? You and you. Who else? Hold it up. You. Yeah, all of you that raised your hand, let's say a prayer right now together. Church, you can say it with us. Lord Jesus, forgive me of all my sin because I've sinned against you. But I believe you died and rose again and I put my faith in you I ask you to be the Lord of my life in Jesus name amen come on give him a big old hand clap you may say what do I do from here I already told you get a Bible start reading it start praying get in church get with the family of God I love you guys thank you for letting me speak with you today
Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about Compassion Church Dixon, go to our website, CompassionDixon.Church. If you would like to become a monthly financial partner, go to our website and click Give. Join us on Sundays, in person, or online, and be sure to follow us on social media. Also, be sure to share this episode with someone or online and tag us. Until next time.